Welcome to the Live Better Show with Brett and Jason. We spend time with top-performing professionals in their respective fields, chatting about anything from morning routines, creative processes, and biohacks, to healthy habits and travel destinations. We are beyond pumped to have Tom Moltaire on the show today. Tom holds both a bachelor's and master's degree, is a certified functional medicine practitioner, and has over a decade of clinical experience. Tom is a past faculty member of the Autism Research Institute and was a medical affairs member of Thorne Research. He currently coaches doctors and other healthcare practitioners on functional medicine protocols in his Progressive Practitioner Coaching Program. Along with this, Tom has authored The Elimination Diet and The Whole Life Nutrition Cookbook, which are both filled with tasty, healthy, and allergy-friendly recipes. Tom's passion and energy for life are truly hard to match. Our mission for you, our esteemed listeners, and the greatest people in the history of ever is to demonstrate effective techniques of high performers to help you achieve results in your own life. Learning from productive and accomplished individuals gives the opportunity to break down the nuances of success and hopefully provide you with a new way to think about the world. Listen, take notes, and take action. Live better and have the best day ever. We're super excited to have Tom Moltaire here on the podcast. How's your day going today, Tom? Oh my gosh, it's going fabulous. You know, I just got back from uh, watching the salmon run down at our local post office. That is fantastic. Can you can you start off um, just giving us and, and our viewers a little bit about yourself um, and then also your career path and how you've gotten to, to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, my name is Tom. I like rainbows and puppy dogs and long walk. No, um, I... <laughs> I am a certified functional medicine nutritionist. I have a clinical practice in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, I instruct doctors on something called functional medicine. I facilitate for the Institute for Functional Medicine at some of their conferences. Um, I love seeing people evolve into their optimal potential. So I get to do that in clinical practice. I get to do that through some of the classes I teach. Uh, we authored a couple of books, Elimination Diet, Whole Life Nutrition, and Nursing Meals Cookbooks, and uh, you know, it's it's just a blast to watch all this thing unfold. But you know, I'd have to say I didn't really choose my profession; it kind of chose me. Uh, I started out when I was a ten-year-old kid, and my mom dragged me out to see this crazy doctor in Hawaii by the name of Dr. John McDougall. And she said, "Oh my gosh, you know, we're taking all these medications, seeing all these doctors. Uh, I want to see this doctor who recommends nothing but food." Right? So we went to these potlucks, and I listened to this crazy guy saying, food's the most powerful medicine on the planet, you know, you can cure heart disease and diabetes and cancer with food, and I was like, wow, really? Is that even possible? And sure enough, he showed case studies and slides, and we went to these potlucks, and we met these people who did before and after programs with this guy, and it was pretty fabulous, right? So I thought, wow, nutrition is like the way to go. So pretty much from then on, I was 10 at the time, uh, any, any chance I had, whether it was in high school or junior college or college, I was taking classes on nutrition. So I ended up at Bastyr University, and I had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in nutritional sciences from Bastyr. And then I went on to study with the Institute for Functional Medicine and uh, got my certified functional medicine practitioner certificate. Um, Of course, I've been through, what, probably five times the amount of courses I needed to get that (laughs) certification. But uh, yeah, and and I've done some uh, training with, you know, other organizations trying to learn from people like the Autism Research Institute and whatnot. 
Um, so yeah, and they actually took me on as a faculty member there as well. And it was, it's just been a, a fun ride. You know, I'm just curious, like what in the world, how does this outside energy coming from, you know, basically a star, right? I mean, the sun's shining down, it's trapping the energy in these leaves. And then, you know, we take on that energy, animals take on that energy and we take on either the plants or the animals or both. And wow, we turn it into this, you know, phenomenal thing called life. So when I'm looking at disease, you know, I just see it as like a separation from the energies of life. Something's wrong. We're not digesting those, those substances very well. We're being bombarded with synthetic substances, i.e. environmental toxins. And so I'm just this curious dude who wants to know what in the world, why are people not as happy as they used to be? How are they not as healthy as they used to be? And how can we get them back in touch with that, that joy, that, that life energy that, that runs through all things? That is awesome. That, that, that is a true... Uh, lifelong journey. Um, and it's, it's fantastic that you've, you've taken what you've learned, um, not only just from, you know, heading down to Hawaii and hearing somebody speak, but then saying, okay, I'm going to actually get to the books and really learn about it. And I know one thing that's kind of this, one of the big movements going on is functional medicine. And, and can you just give our viewers a little bit of a definition of what is functional medicine? Where did it kind of start and where's it going? Oh, man, you know, that's such a huge topic. And what I'm finding is is that by simplifying things, people will understand it better. So yes. uh, I'm a dad, okay? I'm a father of five kids. And I watch as my kids go through life, and they'll do things that I know probably aren't the best thing for them, right? So if I see a child who is acting up and pushing another child or, you know, breaking a toy or something, right, the way of approaching this is either a conventional medicine way or a functional medicine way. I could approach this a conventional medicine way and I could say, oh, that was bad. You need to be punished. Sit in that corner. You need some time out. That behavior is not okay. Like mm-hmm. that's, you, yeah, forget about it. Never. Bad, bad, bad. Right? Yeah. Or we could look at that same child and we could think to ourselves, hmm, that's a curious behavior. Some sort of need is not being met right now. So we could approach a child and say, sweetheart, you know, can I get you a little bit of food? Are you hungry right now? Did you get enough sleep last night? You know, are, are you feeling a little out of sorts? What's going on right now? You know, are, are you feeling there's some sort of injustice? Did somebody push you or hurt you at school today? Are you, are you letting go of some energy, right? So you have this approach of either seeing a pathway that's not doing what you want it to be doing, and therefore, you bring in a synthetic compound like statins. You'll bring in HMG-CoA reductase, right? And you'll stop that pathway from developing at all, anything, cholesterol and coenzyme Q10 and and other uh, items. So you say, okay, we can shut down that path. We can punish that pathway, which then has, of course, long-term effects. Or we could come in and we could nourish the pathway. We could say, huh, why does a person have elevated cholesterol? Could it be that they're exposed to toxins? Yeah, we're now seeing data that shows that your body will produce more cholesterol in the, in the exposure to toxins. Oh, could it be that they have a bacterial imbalance in their intestinal tract? Well, yeah, we now see that you'll change cholesterol production and, and modification in the liver if someone has a, a bacterial infection or a leaky gut. So there's, there's all these other places we can look at. We can say, what's the need of the body? What's the need of the cell? And when the need isn't met... You know, could that be the cause of the state of dis-ease? Makes a lot more sense, right? You know, my, one of my mentors, Sid Baker, God, what a wonderful man that guy is. He, he simplifies everything. He says, look, disease is caused by either too many irritants or not enough nutrients. He basically says it like this. He says, 
you're either getting too many things in life that you don't need or you're not getting enough things that you do need. So when you look at it that way, you kind of say, oh, you know, that's more functional medicine. That's looking at the need of this situation versus looking at one bad behavior and trying to blame that on everything. Yeah, I, I, that is a, an amazing uh, simplified description for that. I think that's such a better way, such a better set of diagnostics than just addressing single issues independent of each other because that's just not how it works. Oh, um, and it's sad because we have to understand that the people that we're diagnosing are people. Yeah. They're very complex, wonderful, beautiful people who developed from single cells and then split into trillions. And now they've gone through these life experiences and every single life experience has a ripple effect on each and every one of those cells. So whether it was exposure to chemicals in utero or was a traumatic birthing experience or C-section or lack of breastfeeding, formula use, going on into childhood and having lots of antibiotics, each little intervention along the way help to shape and form the individual that's sitting in front of you today. So to look at one aspect of that and say, "Uh uh-huh, look at your blood sugars above 115. I'm going to diagnose you as diabetic, you know? And now all of a sudden the person is rushing off and they're telling their friends, hey, guess what? I'm diabetic, right? I'm not this infinitesimally unique snowflake that's been developing for years. No, I'm now a diabetic, Right? And so they'll look and they'll say, oh, this chat group says I should be eating this and I should be doing this exercise and doing this meditation because I am diabetic. Right? Well, what if the blood sugar response in that reading was caused by them being under stress and traffic that day? You know, we now know that you know, someone can get in an auto accident and go in and look at their reading and their blood sugar will be sky high, their cholesterol will be sky high because of the stress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's so myopic to look at one marker or five markers and label a person as something that you can relate to as a physician and then prescribe specific medications that punish the, <laughs> those particular markers. So it, it seems to be a little less holistic. It seems to be a little less inclusive of all the things that are actually occurring in life. So I would encourage people to stop looking at the diagnoses, stop looking at a single cause of a disease and look at the multitude of contributors. And when you start doing that, you get to put on your Sherlock Holmes hat and you get to be an investigator and you get to say, wow, who do I have sitting in front of me? Who is this person? How can I get to know every little nuance about this particular person? And then from those nuances, I can form a theory and then I can invite them into this theory and I'll let them define who they think they are. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. I mean, that is a, that is an amazing description for that. I think as trainers and kind of like, or I guess progressive trainers and health coaches, Brett and I try and find these functional holistic ways to look at our clients' health. And you find that, um, just as you mentioned, fitness is not the one um, cure-all for somebody's unhealthy lifestyle. You also have to look at the nutrition, everyone's stress, their history, their injury profile. There's just so much stuff that goes into to living a, a healthy lifestyle that you can't prescribe one. You have to look at the whole picture. Absolutely, is- man. And they all work synergistically, right? But I wouldn't diss the effects of exercise because if anybody ever gets diagnosed with depression or anxiety and they have some neurocognitive disorder, research is very clear that for depression specifically, the best treatment is actually exercise. 
If you have low energy, interestingly enough, and you're not completely and totally depleted to being in bed and you can get a little bit of energy going in the form of exercise, we know now that cells jump up and they rejuvenate themselves and they start producing more coenzyme Q10 and more mitochondria. So yeah, exercise is brilliant, but you're right. It, it can't work on its own. You have to feed the muscles. You have to repair the muscles. And if somebody is deficient in amino acids or B vitamins, that can't happen. So it's, it's all part of a, a big grand picture. So I think, you know, everybody's role is, is brilliant and we all need to work together on that one. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. If you're, if you're comfortable, could you explain maybe some of the personal changes, um, that you've made in your life or maybe explain kind of what your diet, uh, your diet looks like? Yeah, sure. So uh, I just had some homemade pumpkin soup. We have a garden. So uh, we make a, a lot of our, our stuff this time of year from the fall harvest. So I just had, uh, we had sugar pie pumpkins and we made a pumpkin soup with coconut milk Ooh. and uh, fresh herbs from our garden. Um, and let's see, what else did I have this morning? Uh, I think we had some squash still left over. So boy, it's a squash heavy day today, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. And I had some more greens. I had some uh, turkey. Um, we have a friend actually who grows turkeys out here. Um, uh, I'm about to go pick up a turkey from their farm actually at the end of this interview. Um, so, uh, let's see what else. Um, uh, but every day I should say one of the things I do every day that's an interesting habit that not everybody does is I walk out my front door and to my left, I have sage, sweet Sicily, winter savory, uh, marjoram, thyme, and mountain basil, and then around the corner a little bit, I have oregano on my left-hand side. On my right-hand side, I've got all the peppermints, peppermints and the stevia and rosemary. Um, I'm, I'm, I graze every time I step out the front door. So I'll reach to my left and grab a handful of different herbs, and I'll reach to my right, grab, grab a handful of different herbs, and as I continue on forward, one of my favorite little greens is arugula, and that stuff just it. seats itself like crazy. So it's all over my garden, so I grab some arugula. And I would say... Um, when I miss the ritual of eating my daily greens as I'm walking out, and then closer to the car, we have kale and, and other things. Uh, as, as I'm walking out, if I'm not harvesting these greens, um, I feel like my energy level will drop. Um, I don't feel as sharp neurologically. Uh, I would say my life kind of slows down a notch. So I would say a secret part of my diet has got to be the fact that I'm just eating a lot of these fresh herbs and greens every day. Um, and when I get a chance, I'm actually wild harvesting. So I'm going out this weekend, and it's it's uh, season for um, Oregon grape. So I'll be going out and harvesting the root and scraping the bark and, and making some good tinctures, teas, salves, whatever I can do. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to get outside. That's great. That sounds like a uh, very unique, very um – positive way to start the day start start the day with not only eating something healthy but literally picking it yourself are there any other things you do in your morning routine we'll call it that either get your creative juices flowing or set you up for success for the day as well as set up your family for success you know, I would say there is something that I've been doing a lot lately. Um, I've been examining my thoughts, um, which seems kind of esoteric, but it's so effective for shifting your energy and your focus. So let's say I, I have something that's bugging me first thing in the morning. Um, like let's say I'll say, mm, you know, I, I wish I would have gotten this project done a week ago. And, you know, that's terrible that I don't have this project done. I am a slacker, whatever. These thoughts that come up in my mind, um, I'll just start – I'll break them down, and I'll do the Byron Katie, the work stuff. Have you guys played with that at all? No, no. not yet. 
Oh, you're kidding. So um, <laughs> I'll look at that and I'll be like, you know, oh my gosh, so much tension. I'm working on a program right now with Pedram, you know, and so I'm like, oh, I, I wish I would have had that program done, right? And then I'll stop myself and I'll breathe and I'll say, okay, buddy, you know, this program should have been done weeks ago. Like, is that true? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, there's a deadline, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll ask, okay, in all the grand wisdom of the universe, if I was looking out and I was this omnipotent being standing overhead saying, you know, the wisdom behind what's happening now is probably more than you could ever understand. So from that mindset, you know, should you really have had that done? Well, maybe no, maybe not. Maybe this is happening exactly how it needs to happen. Now I'm able to put some footage in from this salmon run that just happened, you know, over the last couple of days. So maybe it's awesome that I was delayed and everything's working according to some perfect plan. So my answer will be no. I shouldn't be hard on myself. I shouldn't be hard on the actual reality of what's going on because I don't really know the outcome. I mean, maybe something awesome is going to come of it, right? So immediately I let go of that thought of me being hard on myself, right? And then I'll I'll ask myself, how did I feel when I thought that thought, right, of you should have been done, what's wrong with you type of thing? Well, I feel lousy. I feel less than perfect. I feel low in energy. I feel like, you know, come on, what's wrong with me, right? Okay, now I ask myself, who would I be without that thought? So I'll say, all right, if I can't think that thought like what's wrong with you, you should have been done with this a long time ago, then I'll think, well, gosh, I have space to just – move forward, get all the stuff done I need to do in a day. I mean, let it go. Who cares? Whatever. It's just what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden these creative juices flow and I have this forgiveness piece and I'm just like, oh, come on. There's no stress, no pressure. Get it done whenever you can. You know you're doing your best. You know you work your tail off. Like you're just doing it, man. Just get out there and do it, you know? And then I become my own cheerleader, right? So then I'll turn it around and I'll say, all right, you are supposed to be late with this. Like it's just happening, man. Just just go with it. It's, it's rocking. It's going to be great, right? And so all of a sudden, I went from this mindset, this energy cloud, these like rolled in shoulders of like, oh, what's wrong with me? Ah, I can't believe ah, to this like, yeah, let's go hit it. You know, let's grab this. So it's this, it's really interesting piece of uh, how much our mind gets in the way of our creativity, how much our mind gets in the way of our happiness. So that's that's just what I've been playing with. I, I really enjoy it. That's great. Is that something that you're mentally doing or are you journaling that and keeping track of it? Uh, yeah. When you first start doing the work, it's awesome to journal it. Okay. So the key here, let me share this. Yeah. What Byron Katie says, and she's got, what is it? The work.com or the work.org is her website. I think it's.com. You know, she says, look, she says, judge your neighbor, write it down, ask four questions, then turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's, right? very, it's very interesting. I've been doing the um, uh, five-minute-a-day journal recently. Sweet. Yeah, Jason and I both are big, big keepers of the five-minute journal, and then we also do, at the end of the day, the one line a day. So we at, sit down, journal, one line for the whole day, what happened. And what's cool about that is over time, it's got a five-year uh, cycle in there, so you get to see what did you say last year. Are you progressing? Was it last year a bad day? Was it last year an awesome day? And it's really just interesting to, to see how, how your mental state progresses as you continue to evolve. Nice. Nice. That's really fun. I've been playing around uh, with some of my clients. I'll do these video journals. Like right? After my client leaves, I'll do these video journals of their, their, uh, their cases, and I'll talk to myself <laughs> about the experience. You know, what I learned, what, what I think they could learn from our next appointment, it's, uh, 
it's kind of cool, you know, because then you uh, you really get to see your thought process. You get to see, and then as you watch it again, the next time that person comes in, like where your heart was in that space, where your head was in that space, and then you can share with them, you know, this is what I was thinking last time. This is what I'm seeing this time. What do you think? And it's sweet. It's it's sweet, man. They're keeping track of what's going on with you. I mean, that's how you learn, right? I, I absolutely. I think we we take that self review for granted so much. I, I've uh, along with the the journaling process and exactly kind of what you were just speaking to the mindfulness about gratitude and forgiveness, especially towards yourself, seems to be something that's overlooked. We everyone always preaches like, eh, well, you need to be nice to everyone. You need to say your manners, but you know, being being nice on yourself, letting yourself down easy sometimes, I think is is extremely important for the psyche. Oh my gosh! So let me share with you a client I just saw the other day, right? She just like, she's an angel. She wakes up like first thing in the morning, five o'clock. She's prepping the kids. She's got three kids. She's getting them all ready for school, right? And she rushes off to work and she's totally doing all this stuff for people at work and she's just a superstar. And then she gets home and finally she's eating at like seven o'clock at night, right? Yeah. So really, she had very little to eat all day long until finally she takes care of herself. And I was like, you know, sweetheart, come on. You know, you are the golden goose, right? I see this so much in women. I see so many moms who are just working their tails off and then they're falling apart and they're not sure why. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, let's, let's imagine that you wanted to date yourself, right? Let's imagine that you wanted to rekindle a relationship with, with somebody. And then I'm going to say that somebody is you, right? Would you treat yourself like that? Like if you really wanted to like fall in love with you, like would you treat yourself like that? Would you intentionally not feed you? for breakfast? Would you intentionally just not bring yourself a snack for work? Would you intentionally just miss lunch? You know, is that something that like you think that you as a, somebody you're trying to fall in love with would like, like that? You think that'd be cool? I was like, come on, let's start, let's start prepping some stuff late at night, you know, and let's like put it in a little container for yourself for the next morning and write yourself a little note that just says, Hey, hot stuff, you know, this is, this is for you. Right. And then, you know, and then leave it out on the countertop and then just be like, you know, maybe even put a little flower on it and just say, you know, wink, wink or something next to it and just, you know, treat yourself well. Right. Because that's, that's really what's going to fill you up to a point of being able to help. I know, I know mothers are givers. I know they have hearts of gold but they got to turn it on themselves. Otherwise, it's not going to continue. You know, then they see me with thyroid issues and they see me with whatever. They're going to see me with diabetes, obesity, whatever. And I just say, oh, well, of course, right? You, you are now that child. You're now that child who's misbehaving. Your body's misbehaving because those needs aren't being met. Some of those most essential needs of just having someone pay attention to you, meaning yourself, and feeding you and making sure you get enough rest. And, you know, it's just basic needs. These are things that everybody needs, right? You take care of those and the rest of the stuff just falls right in line. Yeah, I think that, that is a, that's an amazing story. I mean, you can tell how passionate you are caring down to um, all of your single clients. Can you, can you maybe share what the coolest or most impactful experience you've ever had working in the health spaces that can be either with a, an individual client. I know you mentioned doing some stuff with Pedram. He's always got some cool stuff going on. Um, maybe share your, uh, your coolest moment you've had so far. Wow. Well, I think developing this program is pretty rad, but, um, you know, working with Pedram was great in the being part of the origins message. I, I really like that, but I would have to say 
one of my big days was sitting in front of a room of uh, mothers of autistic children and educating them on nutrition and really getting them to see that the food is the most powerful thing for their children's brain function, reconnecting them with something they already knew, but so many doctors are trying to tell them otherwise, um, you know, and then having them come up afterwards and tearful and, and grateful. And I mean, that's, that's kind of where it's at. And then tracking some of these moms over the years and seeing how their kids are, are growing into very functional human beings where they were completely non-functional before. Um, I would say that those are the things that really light up my life is when I can see somebody starting out who's, uh, you know, either nonverbal or can't maintain eye contact, or I'll see an adult who has severe chronic fatigue and is just falling apart. Those are the things that I think are my big wins is when, um, you know, I can watch people in front of me just, uh, you know, totally come back to life. That's, that's, that's probably the biggest influence. I think those sound like super, super powerful experiences. And, I know you definitely, through your books and your message, you put yourself out there. What would you say the biggest risk you've ever taken is and that could have a, a positive or a negative result? Well, that's a tough one. What's the biggest risk? Um, I say speaking my mind is usually a big risk. Um, you know, I started talking about gluten-free before gluten-free was even known, um, you know, I, I went out into my local community and I basically said, look, I, I know I have reactions. I'm sure there's a lot of other kids in our school that have reactions. I'm sure there's a lot of people, uh, you know, in our community. And so I'd send these clients over to their GI docs and say, you know, have these people tested for celiac or gluten um, associated reactions. And they would all look at me like I was crazy. I mean, they'd be like, look, no, come on. This isn't celiac disease. They have the right side of their face going numb. They need to see a neurologist or they're not walking very well or, you know, it's not a gut-associated response. It's not diarrhea. They, they don't have celiac disease. And I was like, okay, but they have osteoporosis. They have anemia. There's so many other signs here that, that lead towards the fact that gluten might be driving this. No, 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 you're nuts. You're nuts. You're nuts. And so finally they'll see a doctor that listens to them. They'll get tested and sure enough. They have celiac disease, or we put them on an elimination diet, and they find out they have a sensitivity or whatnot. So it was fighting uphill. I think it's always fighting uphill. Now I'm talking about chemicals and immunotoxicology, and I'm mentioning to everybody, look, the reason everybody's sick these days is because of air pollution, water pollution, food pollution, and too many meds. Um, you know, and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, well, no, the meds are saving people. What are you talking about? And we know that the pesticides really aren't that, that big of a level. And, you know, there's no real advantage to eating GMO-free. And the research is very clear. And I'm like, no, the media is very clear. The research <laughs> is quite muddy. If you look in the research like I do every day, you'll see hundreds upon hundreds of articles showing that GMOs are far from safe. You'll see that the pesticide residues at trace amounts are causing terrible uh, adverse effects in the entire environment. And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough sticking your neck out because people say I'm a conspiracy theorist. People say I'm nuts. People say whatever they want to say, and I just march forward, man. I can't shut up, you know, because it's like I love life, man. I love my kids. I love my brain. I like to be able to think. And I know a lot of these chemicals harm brain function. And, man, I just saw these salmon today running upstream. And there was, you know, literally hundreds of them in this, this one little crick right by the, the post office. And I'm just, like, flabbergasted how powerful these animals are just shooting up this waterfall. And I'm just, like, going, wow, man. Like, why would anybody want to use a laundry detergent or a lawn fertilizer or anything that could end up in the water supply they would harm these beautiful animals, you know, and then have those chemical re residues end up in their bodies when they eat these beautiful animals, you know. So it's just, it's kind of this awareness piece. And when you're examining life on so many different levels, 
people can't identify with you. They don't see all the levels you're looking at. So they label you as crazy. So I'd say my biggest risk is always just telling my truth. I, I mean, and I think that's so important. I think, you know, the tough spot about food and those kind of pollutants is that the immediate kind of like tangible distress to people is not is not apparent. Like the water doesn't turn a neon yellow and they don't get, well, most of the time, don't get so sick that something manifests immediately. So they, they blame it on something else. And you mentioned stepping out on, on gluten-free. Can you lead me through kind of how you would introduce gluten-free to somebody who is both unhealthy and uneducated to kind of decrease the, I don't know, the stigma and trendiness of saying gluten-free now and to try and show them the benefits. Both Brett and I both eat gluten-free because we realize it's a neurotoxin and it's got several other you know, negative side effects. But to somebody who has been eating pizza and pasta their whole life, that just doesn't have, as you mentioned, the self-awareness to know that that may be causing some of the issues. How do you go through with somebody at the very beginning to kind of lead them to the water about that? Yeah, I don't envy you guys. I mean, right? I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I have uh, 10 years of experience clinically of, of seeing clients for gluten-associated responses. I myself have, uh, you know, numerous. So, you know, and I've written three books on the subject. So, um, Maybe you we'll know, just give them your books. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. You go. <laughs> uh, yeah, just give them the elimination diet. That explains it quite well. Um, but, you know, what, what I do is easily, since people have been waiting to see me or whatever, and they, they know what my history is, you know, I just say, look, you already know that this is affecting the vast majority of people on this planet with negative reactions. So let's just do a trial and take it out and see what happens. I think you could probably rely on other people's expertise like mine. Just say, look, I have this buddy, Tom, and uh, you know he's been looking at this in the literature and in clinical practice for over a decade now. He's authored a couple of these books, and what he finds is you know, upwards of 70% of his population feels better when they go on a gluten-free diet. If you get rid of gluten-free and dairy-free, we're probably closer to 80%. So you know, the, the reality is our immune cells are overreacting these days. We know this. We're seeing allergies skyrocket, even celiac disease skyrocketing. We're seeing asthma and eczema, all these things that, that tell us that our immune cells are not allowing the outside environment to be perceived as friendly, right? So we know that our immune cells are like on hyper alert. But people forget that the first thing that immune cells will react to is anything that's in the gut. So the vast majority of your immune cells line the intestinal tract. So if they're not going to be calm, they're going to react to food first. There's more food matter coming through the intestinal tract than there are bacterium. There's more food matter coming in contact with human cells than there is any other input in life. It beats air. Water doesn't stay around long enough or get exposed to the the immune cells very well. It, It gets blocked by the keratinocytes so you don't absorb it through your skin. So, you know, there's... There's this exposure ratio. So if there's going to be something that excites your immune cells, the most common thing that will happen, it was, it'll be a food particle. So people don't get that part. And then you say, oh, okay, well, great. We already know because you have this inflammatory condition called rheumatoid arthritis or even heart disease is an inflammatory condition. You, because you have this inflammatory condition, something's out of balance in your immune cells. Something's out of balance. And if it's out of balance, then something likely – is happening out of balance in your intestinal tract. And if we were to take all the suspects of all the food particles and look at all the research, thousands upon thousands of articles, the most reactive food in the human diet is likely going to be gluten. 
In some individuals, it may be dairy. Others, who knows? It could be eggs, soy, corn, whatever. But the two most common across the board are just going to be dairy and gluten. So if you have inflammation and you eat food, then you may want to take out the two most inflammatory foods and see if that helps. That's how I, I approach it. That is a great logic. I think that that, again, like you said, and what Jason and I's mission is, is the simplification. So you present the information, present the facts, studies that you've done, studies that you've researched, and give somebody a path to do that. I think one, one interesting thing uh, about you is that you've been involved with this your entire life, like you said, since you were a young boy. Yeah. Um, but what are, as you've matured, as you've grown, as you've had children, as you've written these books, as you've seen so many clients, how has your philosophy on life changed as you've aged, whether that's priorities, work-life balance, maybe nutrition? Um, mm-hmm. how, has, how has it progressed um, to where you are now? You know, that's such a valid question, and I have to speak for today because three days ago I was a different human being. Um, but lately I've been getting really strong messages from uh, my experiences with other people, which is, by the way, why you always want to thank your critics, right? You really want to bless them and say, man, bring it on. Tell me more. What else do I do wrong? How else do I suck? How else do I make you mad? Because they are your teachers. They are your best teachers. And if you can just sit and listen and grasp that stuff, then, man, you can grow and evolve. If you're going to close off and say, well, screw you, then you, you just miss an opportunity for the best education in your life. So um, what I've been doing the last three days is really like checking out my message, really seeing where I'm coming from, seeing where my heart is. Because, you know, I have so many years of science education that I just get lost in the details, right? I want to know about this genetic SNP here, and I want to know about how this nutrient modifies this particular enzyme, and I want to know all these details, right? So I geek out. So it used to be that I would try and tell people up until very recently, and probably I still do it every day, but I want to share all these details with everybody. I really want them to identify with how this is going to shift with them, but once again, Nobody else wants to be in the details, right? They want to be with where they're at. So what I'm finding is is if I can slow down and just really listen and connect with where a person is and then share what I think would benefit them most based on that position, it's kind of like you you take it down a thousandth, man. You take a deep breath Mm -hmm. and you're just really present with where somebody else is at, what you think their needs are, and then start telling them stories, basic stories, and from those basic stories, man, then people can feel what you're talking about. You know, drop the mind, man. The mind's not the powerhouse of the human being. The heart is. So if we can identify with what someone's feeling, kind of come from your heart to their heart, then I think real change happens, man. So I think that's, that's what I've been evolving with lately is like slow it down, let go of some of the science, and just connect with the heart. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. And it, it's always great to hear people um, like yourself that know so much and how can you express that to somebody that doesn't really know, know that much about the subject and, and how can you make it so that they're going to make actionable steps and not just sit here and say, you can't eat this, you can't eat this, you have to eat this, you need this supplement. Really like getting into their life and, and simplifying it that way is huge. And I know one thing that you recommend to a lot of people, you've given a TED talk on it that I love, is broccoli. <laughs> so why is broccoli so amazing? Oh, come on, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's rad. The whole story of broccoli is just fascinating, right? I mean, these guys at Johns Hopkins, Paul Telle, Dr. Kang, they went back in 92 and they published a really nice paper where they, they, they scoured the literature. 
they looked all over the place and they were like, wow, look at this, guys. You know, we have all these drastic rises in cancer, colorectal, breast, ovarian, like brain cancers. What's going on? Like, how come so many people are suffering from cancers? What is this? This is unchecked cell growth, right? So these cells get mutated, something damages the, the initial process, and then, you know, you have this perpetuation of these growth signals, and then boom, you end up with this cancer. And they say, how in the world can we stop this tidal wave of damage? Like so many people are getting cancer these days. So they went out to the natural world and they said, all right, gang, let's see what we can find out here. They started seeing these correlative studies. They say, wow, look at this. You, you've got people who are consuming more sauerkraut and coleslaw and cabbage and broccoli, and they're getting less cancer. And, oh, my gosh, there are multiple other diseases out here that we can show there's an increase of antioxidant function, increase of detoxification function when people are eating these cruciferous vegetables. So they isolated a specific compound in those cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, radishes. They isolated this specific sulfur-based compound called sulforaphane. And they said, wow, check this out. We can get this substance into a cell. And when it's in the cell, it will bind to a part of the DNA called the antioxidant response element, and it will open up this treasure trove, treasure trove, like hundreds of different gene portions that would read beneficial enzyme formation signals. So what, do you, what am I saying? You eat this sulforaphane, it whispers to your DNA and says, come on, man, you can do more. You can be more, man. Come on, let's go, let's go. Produce some great stuff here. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. All these proteins start coming out of your cells that are very potent at regenerating antioxidant function. They're very potent at excreting toxins out of the body. And next thing you know, you got a supercell. And the weird thing is this is like the prime antioxidant, man. You know how everybody's looking at orange juice and they're looking at blueberries and they're all over the place and they're saying, oh, yeah, this is antioxidant rich, blah, blah, blah. This is a totally different ballgame. I go into each and every cell with sulforaphane and I turn on these genes not just for six hours, like blueberries and oranges or whatever. I'm going in there for over 72 hours, over 90 hours of function change in the cell with exposure to the sulforaphane. Wow. And now that we're seeing more antioxidants and detox and we're seeing, wow, pretty much every chronic disease, you're low in antioxidants, you have too much inflammation, you're having too many toxic influences. So now they're starting to put sulforaphane tests for most diseases. They're, of course, you can go over to China and you can give people sulforaphane-rich beverages and they'll start peeing out more pollution in their urine so they don't keep it in their bodies anymore. You can do trials where you spread sulforaphane on the skin of animals and expose them to UV radiation and they don't get skin cancer. You can see trials of autism now. Zimmerman et al., one of the guys who lectured at the Autism Research Institute conferences, Holy smokes, man, he did this really nice trial of just feeding kids these sulforaphane uh, substances, the broccoli sprout substances, and next thing you know, boom, their behavior improves. We're seeing new trials now coming out on depression. We're seeing trials on schizophrenia. We're seeing trials across the board. Like, I haven't really seen a disease that doesn't seem to benefit from this stuff yet. So you start going, whoa, you know, nature is just incredible. It talks to our genes and can really shift their function. That's beautiful. Right? So I, I, that's what kind of wows me, right? It's like we're always thinking food. There's so many people with a limited idea of food. They say, 
What's food? Food is to fill my belly. Food is to fill my shopping cart. Food is to put in my mouth so it can be really sweet and tasty and eat it and chew, 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 and I like it so much and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just so limited, right? Whereas the reality is food is gene signaling material, right? You put that stuff in your mouth and from the very second you're looking at it, you're smelling it, it's changing your cellular function. Then you bite into it and then some enzyme activity occurs and then boom, you absorb it into your body and utilize it. It changes all your cells' functions, right? So we're so concentrated on like, ah, let's give that wonderful mouth feel. Let's give that little spike with our coffee or our chocolate or whatever with our mood. And, you know, it's all chemistry, man. And the fact that these things can do so many beautiful tasks simultaneously, it's just a testament to how wise nature is, how intricately gorgeous and ingenious the human body is. So that's that's why I geek out on that one. <laughs> that's amazing. I feel like I should be showering in broccoli. <laughs> what uh, or or definitely not eating enough of it. How often would you prescribe? I mean, how often do you tell people to eat? I know that some people have food sensitivities, and there are some you know prescriptions out there to not eat the same foods every day. Do you prescribe a blend of cruciferous vegetables, or do you have broccoli at every meal? How do you how do you go about that? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I did a video uh, for this program I'm working on of me walking around my yard and seeing all the different cruciferous vegetable sources that I have just growing. And arugula is a really good one. It's probably why I'm attracted partially to that. But all the different kales, you've got the broccoli, we've got lots of mustard greens. I love the spicy Chinese mustard greens. Those are delicious. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of other plants. We have radishes. Daikon radish is actually a, a wonderful source. There's all all sorts of different things you can get. And in fact, there are some weeds and one of my favorite sources in my yard is my weeds. I have uh, one of the cardamine family, the wild bittercress, uh, growing in my yard. And my gosh, those things are delicious, and they'll help ramp up your sulforaphane content in your body. So um, there are many different sources you can get. I wouldn't limit myself to broccoli ever because there's just so many. I love Brussels sprouts. Oh, my gosh. My <laughs> wife made this balsamic vinegar reduction Ooh. Brussels sprout dish oh, last wow. night, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me? Did <laughs> we'll, I we'll, die we'll be, go to heaven? Like, what is this?" We'll be there tomorrow S- night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> smart men will clear a place at the table. <laughs> Two of them. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's so many different ways. I would never want to just limit myself to broccoli. However, I would say there was one specific source that seems to be higher in sulforaphane than anything else, and that's the broccoli sprouts. So the actual seeds of the broccoli plant sprouted, much like you would sprout alfalfa sprouts. Yep. Those are ingenious. Those can have between 10 and 20 times the level of sulforaphane as the full-grown broccoli. So the sprouts themselves are rock stars, but not everybody likes them. They're kind of spicy. They're a little bit of bitter. You know, 5% of the general population has this bitter or more, depending on which population you're looking at, has these bitter sensations on their tongue that really don't allow them to enjoy a lot of the cruciferous vegetables because they'll eat them and all they taste is bitter. So those people, you know, you can take a broccoli seed extract as a capsule if you want or, uh, you know, look at a different source of something that will activate the same sulforaphane pathway, which is called the NERF2 pathway. And that's when you can consume something like Thai ginger, which is galangal. Um, so, you know, there's, there's other ways around it. That's all I'm saying, you know, and don't limit yourself when you're thinking, right? There's always more options out there, right? So real fast before I go on, that's another cause of pain. When people are experiencing pain in their life, 
it's because they're forming resistance against a single idea. So imagine water coming down a stream and somebody puts a dam in the stream, right? All of a sudden, that water hits the dam and rolls up and rolls up and it just builds up this tension, right? But if you can open up some little gateway somewhere, some little opening of an idea of a different option, a different alternative, all of a sudden the water can flow around the barrier, right? So if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I can't eat that stuff because I hate broccoli, you know, there's your barrier, man. There's the pressure. There's the tension. Yeah. But if you can say to yourself, hey, I wonder if there are other things that can activate this and I don't have to eat broccoli, right? It's the same with anything in life. Yeah. Oh, you need options, yeah. but not too many or then nobody makes any decisions. <laughs> Good call, right? <laughs> that's where, the, that's where the, the simplicity comes in. That's why you see an expert who dreams and eats and breathes this stuff for decades and then – you know, you say, hey, what do you think my next intervention might be? And then I'll ask a lot of questions and give you a couple of very poignant options. So, yeah, then the second question you asked was how much do I need per week, right, on the broccoli? Here we are, back to broccoli. Tom, T, tangent, right? Here I am. So <laughs> broccoli or other cruciferous vegetables, if you look at the literature, it looks like five servings per week seems to be awesome. And if you could spread those out every three days or so, so uh, if, if the bare bones minimum, so if you're going to do two days a week that you have your broccoli, that's fine. Ideally, you would have you know maybe a serving every day, every other day, and then maybe a couple of days have two servings, whatever. Just mix it up. It doesn't have to be every single day. So just, just make sure you're getting around five servings per week or slightly more. It's fine. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have some of your, your clients on this uh, other end of this call right now saying, you know, uh-oh, I can't do it because I have thyroid problems, you know? Well, I've hung out with that for a while, and I dove into the thyroid research, and what you'll find is the vast majority of people, well over 90, some estimate 97% of thyroid people who come into your clinical practice, will have something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And they're worried about eating broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, because they've been told these things have goitrogens in them, and they will bind to their thyroid gland and stop secretion of thyroid and, and really cause a problem with their thyroid disorder. And that is not true in the least, least sense of the word true. I mean, it's just not even close. What happens with Hashimoto's thyroiditis is you'll form antibodies and you will attack either the thyroid gland, thyroid globulin, what it's called, or the TPO, thyroid peroxidase. Um, you know, form antibodies against it. And this formation of an autoimmune reaction has nothing to do with broccoli. What some people have seen in the past was you could steal a lot of iodine from the system if you're eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables at the same time you're eating your iodine and some of the compounds in cruciferous vegetables if eaten raw in excess of over two pounds of raw per day might create an adverse environment in the thyroid gland. Now, that's a far cry from what I'm seeing with people who have Hashimoto's or whatnot. You know, they'll, they'll avoid all broccoli, all kale, all cauliflower, whatever, because they heard that it, it's going to cause problems for them. I challenge them to go on PubMed, just go on P-U-B-M-E-D.com and plug in Hashimoto's plus cruciferous vegetables and see what comes up and read any abstracts or papers that come up and you'll see there really isn't a tight connection for Hashimoto's at all. Thyroid cancer, a little bit. 
people who have predisposition for thyroid and severe iodine insufficiencies, yes, but not for the standard Hashimoto's client. So I just had to clear the air with that one. And I confirmed that with the team at Johns Hopkins. I talked to Jed Fahey about everybody's worry about broccoli leading to thyroid problems, and he basically laughed at me. And then I called Johanna Lampe, well, in a kind way. Jed's an amazing man. <laughs> he actually helped me with my TED Talk. He's a wonderful guy. And then uh, I talked to Johanna Lampe. Uh, she's a broccoli researcher at UW, um, University of Washington uh, Medical Center. And she said, gosh, Tom, you know, I'm giving these people, you know, raw, mixed raw, cooked cruciferous vegetables. And if as long as they're cooked and they're above two pounds, I can be doing over two pounds a day with these people. And I don't see any change in thyroid function at all. So the rare cases you'll see is people who are eating, they're malnourished in essence, and all they're eating is goitrogenic type of things, some cassava, or they're eating in one case that was in the literature, someone was eating bok choy. Um, all day long for like 2.2 pounds of bok choy a day for over six months, and that person had some thyroid issues. But that's not your standard person. Yeah. So uh, really, I, I wish people would stress less and eat more. I mean, that's I, I completely agree. Um, you were talking about the, the simple splits of food, and I think that people – find that there are so many different options out there. I would love to talk about um, something that is of personal interest to me. Um, I feel this question a lot. Um, and you know, Brett and I are both personal trainers. We work with some athletes. Um, I would love to know what are the, the top muscle building foods in each of the protein, fat, and carb categories. Like if someone's looking to add lean mass, what to eat? Because Brett and I both um, have similar goals, um, just exercising more often than the, um, than the average person, um, but we want to do so in the most clean way possible, and uh, that gets expensive sometimes. <laughs> um, but I would love to know kind of what the top, top muscle-building foods in each of those categories are if you're, if you're talking about just simple splits of foods. Okay, I'm going to honor my friend, uh, Dr. Martha Herbert, who originally started out in systems biology before becoming a neurologist, and go off on another tangent. And I'm going to say that the best muscle-building foods are those that you digest, absorb, and utilize. So I would always be concerned about, of course, you know, the things that build up a muscle, including things like glutamine and various amino acids that branch chains, isoleucine, leucine, valine. I'd, I would definitely want to be concerned about those amino acids. So would I break apart individual foods and say, well, yeah, you know, salmon's awesome, you know, lean chicken's great, whatever. No, I wouldn't. I would say, how do you do when you eat meat? So I would ask my clients, I would say, hey, if you had a, a big steak in front of you, a nice T-bone, right, and it was cooked like medium well, and you're about to take a bite of that, you know, and you're salivating, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is going to be awesome, and you start eating it, you know, okay, and then halfway through the steak, how are you feeling? And if they say, well, I feel pretty good, but, you know, my stomach's getting a little heavy, and I'll say, okay, how do you feel afterwards? Well, I'm really full. Like, you know, now they think about it, I don't really like steak that much. Well, why don't you like steak? Well, I feel like I have an anvil in my stomach when I'm done eating this <laughs> stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and I feel full for like hours later. 
I'll be, oh, really? Do you have any gas or nausea or bloating after you eat consistently? Why, yes, I do. Yeah. You know, some foods I'll just like, boop, my belly just distends way out. And I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Well, you may have an issue with producing enough gastric acid. And if you're not producing enough gastric acid, no matter what protein source you are consuming, you will not access the amino acids in that protein source because the acid's primary job in the stomach is to break apart peptide bonds, making those available for other enzymes later on so you can get amino acids into your body. So no matter what food you're eating, if you can't break that food down, the the, the word digestion literally means to break from large to small. So if you cannot break those proteins into small amino acids, I don't care what you eat, you will not benefit from it. It cannot build your muscles. So that's not even a function of portion control. That is simply the type of food that you're able to process. It's protein. So if you're not producing enough gastric acid, you may not be breaking apart your proteins. So my first concern if I'm talking about muscle building with a client is how is your digestion? We may need to increase digestion with some supplementation, with some herbs. We may need to look at your overall energy supply because the stomach cells use energy to produce acid. So I will go back to the digestive process before I would recommend a food. So does that make sense that I would want to make sure that a person can access the genius of the food before I would recommend the food itself? And I can guarantee you, if someone is on a proton pump inhibitor or an H2 blocker, we know these medications as acid-blocking medications, their ability to digest their proteins is terrible. So if you've got GERD, gastroesophageal reflux, or dyspepsia, which literally means inability to digest, if you've got that, then what's going to be happening is you're not breaking apart your proteins. So if I said to you, hey, I'd love you to get some you know, lean grass-fed beef and I want you to you know, make a stew out of it because the cooking on the, the grill is actually harmful. There's some polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, nitrosamines that can be formed. Those are dangerous. I want you to just make this wonderful stew. And then that person eats the stew maybe with some bone broth or maybe with some chicken broth, whatever they're eating the stew with, and then boom, they don't digest that food? Uh-oh, you got a problem, right? You're going to be getting some of the amino acids from the bone broth because those are in smaller little chunks. They're not even solid anymore, right? They're in a liquid form, so you can access some of the proline, some of the glycine, whatever it is you're going to be accessing from there. That's great, but if you can't get to the proteins then it's really tough. So I have to mention that first before I mention any foods. But of course, you know me. Come on, man. I was just watching the pink salmon run. So I'm going to be recommending things like salmon. I love the sweet potatoes. I love the broccoli, as you already know. Um, I love plantains for carbohydrate source. And if someone is really having a terrible time digesting, they have IBS, they have diarrhea, then I'm going to actually recommend supplemental amino acids. You know, I'm a big fan of the branch chains. I'm a big fan of glutamine. For muscle building. In fact, you know, I, I helped uh, a product come to the United States marketplace. I did some research and uh, education for a particular product. Uh, you guys know the company Thorn Research? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I worked as part of the medical affairs team, and um, I got to evaluate all the data on a product called Amino Acid Complex. And it was fascinating, you know, that the specific ratios that they put in this formula 
really turn on anabolism and they turn off catabolism. So the building of muscle gets turned on, the, the breaking down gets turned off. And it was originally being brought in for the use of sarcopenia and cachexia, so basic muscle wasting, happening in cancer patients who were taking chemotherapy. And these people would waste away. You know, They wouldn't support their lean muscle mass anymore. And so this product was actually brought in to salvage muscle tissue in that specific population. And originally, I brought it into my clinical practice, but you know, you've limited people. I'm not an oncology specialist, so I had a limited number of people who were literally going through chemotherapy, but I had a ton of athletes. And my office back then backed up to the largest CrossFit um, gym in Bellingham. So I had a lot of the trainers and athletes, you know, would hear about me and see my podcasts or that I do with other people or whatever. And they'd say, you know, what do you, what do you got, man? What do you recommend? And so I'd say, well, gosh, this is for cancer patients, but let's see what we can do with the athletes. Holy smokes, man. Yeah. So not only was it lean muscle mass that would improve, but it would, it would also be energy levels. So a lot of people don't understand that the salvage mechanism of the mitochondria, the energy powerhouse, is to use amino acids to be a precursor versus carbohydrates or fats. So if people are having a hard time digesting food, absorbing food, you can save them with some of these amino acid complex like uh, supplements. Now, it's a temporary fix though, right? You want to go back up and find out why they're not accessing their proteins, hence my emphasis on gastric acid and ability to break down your food yeah. first, first and foremost. Cool. Yeah, I, I actually take Mediclear by the by Thorn. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, what is your What is your stance on creatine? Huh. What is my stance on creatine? Um, I've been looking at some interesting trials on on creatine with citrulline creatine and taurine creatine uh, by itself. And uh, what is my take on creatine? I'm seeing some interesting nuances in the data. Some people, it, it increases their need for methylating nutrients, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, in, in general, would I recommend creatine to every single person in the population? Probably not. If I thought someone was low in their ability to break apart proteins, um, probably. Yeah, they wouldn't um, be getting it from red meat consumption either. So, Right, right. So uh, it would just depend. I would say... Um, it's probably not a cross-the-board supplement recommendation for me. It's not something that I keep on my shelf on a daily basis unless I'm working with an elite athlete. Gotcha. Cool. How about um, for our desk-bound audience, how about a um, – that I know we're making repeat visits to uh, the local Starbucks. How about something other than coffee for a ca- caffeine substitute? I know there are obviously several teas that you can use, but – um, maybe another energy boost besides just a like a green tea. Hmm. Besides a green tea, well, there's a guayaki, of course, and uh, uh, caffeine sources or non-caffeine sources. Uh, could be either. Maybe maybe not caffeine sources. Hmm. Well, um, one of the things I really enjoy for energy is, uh, is supplementation. Um, so probably my big energy piece for like, like you're, you're saying coffee comparison. So I have to be true to what I, I recommend in clinical practice, which is if someone's super reliant on caffeine, I'll, I'll try and get them higher in CoQ10. And um, the QBEST is what I'm often recommending. And that one is, uh, you know, if they're in the tank for energy, in the tank, I'll be recommending um, you know, 200 milligrams in the morning, 200 milligrams in the evening, which is a super high dose. 
for two, three weeks, and then titrating down to 100 milligrams twice a day. And usually the energy level by the end of 45 days will be such that people can let go of coffee. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but that has to be also taken into consideration that the, I'm, I'm always looking at B vitamin status and magnesium yeah. status yeah. because without those two, you can't transport energy, ma- manufacture energy. So uh, never in isolation. But when it comes to uh, foods, I would just have to say eating a diet that works for your system is more important than anything else. So when I see clients who have food sensitivity reactions, whether it's dairy or gluten, one of their first symptoms is fatigue. Mm-hmm. So making sure you're consuming a food that works with your immune system because it exhausts your immune system. It exhausts your adrenals. Yeah. If, if you're all eating the coffee's not helping. <laughs> yeah, man. You can't, you can't do it, right? No, no. So I would say eating a clean diet is, is probably your best bet. Great. I think, uh, I think that's fantastic advice. And a lot of our viewers just, just want to learn, you know, what are some quick tips that they can do? Um, so learning about that's great. Let's, let's hack into Tom. Let's learn, let's learn some <laughs> things about, about you. Um, so Jason and I are going to rattle off a few questions and just kind of want first response, uh, that comes to, to Tom's head. So who is one person you have not met yet across your entire journey here? And why would you love to meet him? Jane Goodall. So she's just done a tremendous uh, piece of awareness in, in tying together the importance of, of turning to our animal friends and the environment for uh, finding um, how we can get through life together and really honor everything that exists on the planet. So I just, I've been a huge fan of Jane Goodall. That's great. Speaking of animals, who is, what is one animal that would describe Tom Moltaire and why? I'd say a dolphin. Um, you know, I, I love the water. I grew up surfing as a kid and, and, and spearfishing in Hawaii and whatnot, but, um, playful. I'm playful. Uh, I'm considerate, uh, in that, you know, if someone's getting attacked by a shark, I'm going to go butt them in the gills. <laughs> um, you know, and at, at the same time, you know, contemplative, you know, uh, trying to look at the big picture all the time and, and figure out what's working best for everybody. <laughs> That's funny. Dolphin was my answer. And we also spoke with Cliff Hodges, and that was his answer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We're all dolphins. Um, how about what is your favorite travel destination and maybe like a quick bit on the significance? Fiji. I'm a water guy, once again, dolphin. And, uh, you know, the water is just so clear and the, the reefs are still growing. And I've not been there yet, but uh, I have it on my agenda to go hopefully next year. You got to report back on, on yeah. how that one is. That's one that we would love to go to as well. When yeah. you meet somebody for the first time, what is your favorite question to ask them? And what is the best response you've got to that question? Okay. Can you repeat it one more time? Yep. When you meet somebody new, what is your favorite question to ask that person? And what is the best response that you have gotten? My favorite question to ask that person, huh? I don't have a favorite question that I ask everybody. Um, gee, that's a stumper for me. Favorite question I would ask somebody? Um, I, I, I don't know that one. Maybe, how are you? <laughs> and, and, and really, you know, have some sort of response like as good as, good as can be expected because then they realize that they're in the here and now and, uh, you know, it's just what is. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how deep that actually can get oh, if yeah. you just, you know, someone's connecting with you on that level. So uh, that's a stumper for me. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, how does I know you you talked about 
watching the salmon play earlier. Um, how does fitness play a role in your life, or what do you do to work out or stay stay active? Okay, I have a rock climbing wall in my office here, and when I That's go to awesome. take. Pe- <laughs> When I go to take pee breaks, I like to climb on the wall. <laughs> I have a, uh, a weight bench sitting down below, and uh, I have uh, five children. So <laughs> hiking with them, uh, lifting them up, uh, carrying their extra you know, tents and backpacks and stuff on my pack. Sometimes I'll get up to 70 pounds in my backpack. Um, you know, that, that, that keeps me active. That's fantastic. Um, so you started education for yourself at a very young age. Where would you say, if you were talking to the average person that wanted to start understanding health, fitness, or, or kind of nutrition, what, the path that you've gone down, where would you start them out in education? Would it be a book? Would it be a certification? Where, where would you kind of lead them down? I would say find the person they identify with in that field and connect with that person. Love that. Could not, not agree just, more with that. Yeah, it can't, it can't just be on a intellectual level in a book. And it has to be like the energy behind that. Yep. So you're going to be attracted to something and, and you want to connect with why you're attracted to it. And it may be that person's energy more than it's the information. And, and you want to find that out. And if it's the person's energy and the information, then you know to pursue. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, right? People don't always listen to what you say. They feel how they feel when you say it. 100%. Right, yeah, cool. Um, all right, you can give a you can give a longer longer answer to this one. How would you change the education of health today? So beyond maybe beyond what you've already accomplished, you obviously pen articles and books, um, and your research is out there, and you're doing all these amazing things. If you got more of a blank slate or a louder microphone. <laughs> um, or a bigger stage, how would you how would you go about rewriting kind of our education process for for how we think about health or how we prescribe medicine to patients in that in that kind of realm? I would teach less and ask more questions. So I'd really create a space for people to come up with the answers themselves. I would be completely and totally honest about what's happening everywhere in our air, our food, our water, our soil, and our hearts. Just open up and be completely honest. You know, if you're a business and your primary mode for exploration on the planet is, is profit and you don't really care about the air, water, food, soil, I wish they were completely honest about that. I wish there was honesty in who's funding all the research and information that are put in textbooks. Well, complete honesty. Because that's the only way. We have to be aware of what's happening now before we can make a logical decision about where we should be tomorrow. And I would say I would change the honesty factor. I'd pull back the curtain and show exactly what money is doing to our knowledge base. That's what I would do. That's amazing. Yeah, I think there's. I think that's also cool. There's a new um, corporation title out now that you can basically be a social profitable company, which nice. is cool because I, I think it changes the mission. It takes the it takes the focus off of your shareholder. I guess it includes them in the in the conversation, but also at the same time realizing that you serve a social social function and that you vote with money. And oftentimes these large companies are voting with several hundred million or billion dollars worth of money and that they have such a huge impact. And I think way more mindfulness around the message that's coming out and how we how you talk to your kids about it, I think is super important. Yeah, for sure, man. It's the way to go. You know, it's it's all about what we're going to be 
today is going to tell us what we're going to be tomorrow, right? And it's, it's who we are. So as soon as we shift ourselves and we shift our consciousness and our awareness, the rest comes. And I think that's a responsibility for corporations. I think it's a responsibility for every human. Don't hide behind a name or a brand thinking that it's okay to look for profits. We're still human, man. We still have hearts. Yeah. Um, I think speaking of a brand, speaking of a, of a business, you have been able to establish an amazing brand with, with yourself, with your family, with your wife, um, all of the books that you've written, the Origins movie. What would be someone that is trying to establish a brand for themselves? What would be your one bit of advice you'd give them in, in starting that journey? Brand has got to be about mission. It's got to be about something bigger than you. So don't try and go for something that's just going to grab the most SEO or anything. I mean, go with something that, that meets your mission. It's, it's got to be about that. That's great. And, and along your journey, you've met so many great people, worked with so many awesome people who have started brands, who have educated people in the health space, have educated people within business. How, do you, how, how can you create something that is sustainable, that is educational, um, and that also works to, to put food on the table. So within your broad network, who would be one person that, that after doing this interview with us that you think we, we, Jason and I would benefit, but also the audience we're trying to cater to would benefit within your network that we should bring on the show? Hmm. Hmm. Um, who would be another person that you should bring on the show? Um, have you already had Pedro? We have not. Oh, get him on. <laughs> So uh, Petron's kind of an, an, an intermediary guy, right? He's, yes, yes. he's gathering information. He's putting the, the players together. He's, he's putting a movie together about conscious uh, you know, consumerism. So uh, I think he'd be a good guy to put some of the pieces together. Yeah, I think he would be amazing. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. That's actually how we heard about a lot of people was just watching the Origins movie and, and seeing who were the influences in this scene, who were doing the great – the great things like yourself. That's why we reached out to Cliff and got him on the show. So that he's doing, he's doing amazing things. So speaking of of you and and the brand that you've developed, where can people find out more about you? Where can they learn about what you're doing? Uh, And what are some upcoming projects you have coming out that, that we should educate our audience on? Yeah. Um, the best place to find me is at the, the whole life nutrition.net website. And, um, you know, you can find out my information there. Uh, Pedram's going to do a launch here pretty soon on uh, well.org for our Origins Lifestyle program. So you can consume a lot of information from me there. I'll teach you all about, you know, what's going on with the planet right now and why it's altering human health. So you'll basically get a discounted version of one of my practitioner coaching programs uh, (laughs) by going through there. So, yeah, check out wholelifenutrition.net. I'll announce it when that's happening there. That's probably the hub for anything that I'm doing right there. Awesome. That, that's fantastic. We will, we will definitely post all your websites and everything um, in the show notes that we're going to provide for people so that they can click right onto that. Uh, we just want to thank you for not only coming on this show and educating our listeners, but also defining your mission. Like you said, building the brand is about the mission. We stand for everything that your mission stands for. Um, and so we would just like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for, for taking your time um, and, and hoping that this message can travel across the world to everyone that's able to listen to this and, and everyone that's able to talk about what they heard today. So thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Ah, oh, guys, it's my pleasure. Brett, Jason, my gosh, anytime, guys. Fantastic. Keep up, 
Keep up the great work, by the way. I love to see what you're doing. We will. All right, guys. Take care. You too. All right.